0: Well, it is good to be back with you opening God's word. Join me in James chapter one, James chapter one. And before we get to that passage, my thanks go out to Pastors Nathan, Tim, and Herb for the last month, uh, bringing God's word to us, uh, developing our theme of discipleship here at EBC, looking at it from different angles. And again, my thanks to them. Each of them unpacking Christ's commission that we read in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. That's our calling. It's our calling individually, but also as a church corporately. This is why we exist as a church body. EBC exists to call, mature, and send disciples for the glory of Christ. If you walk through those doors and look to your left, you see that on the wall there. That's why we exist. If you want to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, it's up above me. We proclaim him. We exalt Christ. We put Christ on display in all that we do. Why? So that we may present every man complete, mature, fully grown, discipled in Christ. So this has been our theme, not only for this summer but for this year, because discipleship is the culture that we would long to see as leaders, long to see develop here and grow at EBC. So it brings us then to the conclusion of this summer series, and we end where we must by focusing on Jesus' final command in his great commission, and that is the call to teach them, to teach every disciple to observe, that's the key word, to observe all that I commanded you. This now takes us out of the theory of discipleship and now puts us in the nitty gritty of the discipleship relationship. This is the personal, thought out, intentional, specific application, the observing so the Greek word teireo, the obeying, the maintaining, the practicing, the keeping, the applying of God's word to our lives. Without personal application of God's word, there is no discipleship. Without personal application of God's word, there is no growth. Jesus put it this way, John chapter eight, if you continue in my word, you need to hear the word, but you also need to obey the word. If you continue in my word, then here's the mark, that's the mark, then you are disciples of mine. So discipleship is more than just grasping with the mind, truths. That must be included, yes, But if that is where our discipleship times end, it falls short of Christ's call. We need to observe all that he has commanded us. One author put it this way, being a disciple involves learning truth, yes, but it must also involve a new way of living, application. This is the necessary component of a true discipleship relationship, the personal, intentional, and specific application of God's word first to yourself and then to those you are discipling in the faith. Where do we get this from? Well, this was Paul's model. Think about what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. As I apply God's word to my life, And then you are able to see that in action and apply that to your life. It's so essential to walk side by side with other believers, allowing them to see what a life of faithfulness looks like in the life of a real person. Living in the real world, battling real temptations. Failing, confessing, but also experiencing real victories. Think of Philippians 3, brethren, join in following my example. Can we say that? Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So we're the pattern. We've seen the life of obedience. And now it's your turn. Philippians four, the things you have learned and received and heard, and then this, and seen, and seen in me. So discipleship is more than imparting knowledge. It's walking side by side. It's living together, seeing God's word put into practice. And what's the point? Why do we do this so that you can practice these things? So you too can live a life of obedience. So this is how real life change, sanctification, Christ-likeness happens. It's not only God's word being read and studied, but also it is God's word being personally and specifically applied as you walk side by side with others. So that's the discipleship relationship. And just imagine if those relationships permeate this church. Imagine the holiness that would permeate the church, right? The unity, the camaraderie. It's a great thought, brings us to James chapter one. And it's that classic passage of personal application. James chapter one, where James explains this necessary part of the discipleship relationship, how we are to apply God's word to our lives. Let's read the text, starting in verse 19. 119. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So you can see the emphasis in these seven verses. Verse 22, prove yourselves doers, obeyers, appliers of the word and not merely hearers. Verse 25, abide by the word, remain, live in the word. Verse 25, again the word doer is there. Become an effectual doer, obey or follower of the word. This is intentional obedience. Now have you ever wondered how a Christian, how a Christian can sit under the same teaching and hear God's word rightly divided and read God's word daily and attend every Bible study that is offered and listen to every podcast under the sun and yet still remain stagnant in their faith, never growing, still having bitterness in their heart, loveless. James answers that question here and his answer is this. It's not because of any deficiency within the word. No, verse 21, he's clear. The word is able to save your souls. There's no deficiency in the word. Now the disconnect resides, and here James is gonna probe us, the disconnect resides in the hearing of the word, the reception of the word. Use our word for the day, the applying of God's word. This is why every discipleship relationship must emphasize application, it's the doing, it's the living of God's truth. So what James does here is he gives a roadmap for applying the scriptures, a roadmap. He gives us five approaches to God's word. If we follow them, if we take each of these approaches, and then we will be sanctified, we will grow in our Christ-likeness, we will be changed. Let's look at each of these, begin with approach number one. Approach number one, in order to be changed by God's word, we must approach God's word, first of all, with reverence. With reverence, let's put it this way, we must prepare ourselves to read, or to hear, or to study God's truth. Look at the middle of verse 19. But everyone, no exceptions, but everyone must be. Present tense command, this is a continual duty upon us. Every time God's word is opened, we must be quick to hear. Now, let's keep it in the context of James 1. Quick to hear what, James? Quick to hear what? What? And so often, this verse is used in interpersonal relationships, right? That's the application. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Application. We must be quick to hear what our spouse is trying to tell us. And that is true. It's true. It's my wife sitting down there. She wrote that in. I don't know where that came from, it's not even my handwriting. It's true. We must be quick to hear others. But that's not James's point here, not his main point. Look at verse 18. James says that there is God bringing us forth by the word of truth. Drop down to verse 20. He says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not what? Hearers, same word. We must be quick to hear. Yes, hear your spouse. More important than that. We must be quick to hear God. Quick to hear his word, his teaching, his commands. To which James then adds, "Slow to speak." That is to say, slow to speak against God's word. He then adds a next command: "Slow to anger." We must not be angry at God's word. Each of these commands are important. Look at verse. First of all, be quick to hear. Quick to hear, we must approach the word with utmost attention, utmost attention. This speaks of the anticipation we must have when we come to God's truth. Oh, if we need to do this, then we must. We need to remind ourselves that this is not just any word. This is a divine word from God Himself. The call here is, do not take God's word for granted. And this is where application begins because we will put into practice what we cherish. We will apply what we cherish. To which James then adds, we must also be slow to speak. Bring this back to the first century. This was a literal problem during that time. The worship services were a little different than what we have today. They were more informal, so much so that there would be times and folks in the congregation would stand up and debate the speaker. If you do that today, the security guard is coming and removing you from the church. But during that time, they had no security guards apparently. They would debate and these people would be more concerned with having their views spouted out and heard, more concerned with that than a willingness to hear God's truth. It was about arguing, not applying. Well, we can look back at that in the first century, but certainly we can apply that today, right? Can we be more concerned with bringing our own thoughts, our own ideas to the scripture, not applying it, arguing with it, explaining it away? We must come to the scriptures with a teachable spirit, not a debating manner. We approach the word, leaving our pride at the door, recognizing that we need to be changed, every single one of us. We come to the scripture, letting the word shape our thoughts, not our thoughts shape the word, allowing the scriptures to establish our worldview. We come to the scriptures with that Psalm 119, 18 prayer, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. But there's a tendency, temptation, temptation to come to the scriptures like the Pharisees did. So quick to dismiss Jesus' words. So quick to grasp onto their own traditions. Traditions or to come to the scriptures like the scribes in Jesus' day did, more concerned with trapping Jesus in his words than about understanding them, or to come like the Sadducees did, trying to mold Jesus' teaching to fit their own likings, maybe to undergird their own religious pride, make themselves feel good about who they are. But no, what is James's call? Approach the scriptures with open ears and closed mouths. And a receptive heart, James also adds slow to anger. Slow to anger, orge, resentment that smolders on the inside, it's an antagonism to the truth that you read. We must not quarrel with the word when it convicts us but rather we must bow before its demands. We must not war with the word when it severs our pride, but rather welcome its piercing power. We must not grow angry against the word when it reveals our faults. Rather, we cherish its exposing work. That's good, it's needed. Look at verse 21, middle of it. James says, in humility receive the word. To this one I will look, Isaiah 66, to those who tremble, tremble at my word, in humility receive it. And so if we are going to apply the word, we must first approach God's word with a reverence, a reverence prepared. We are coming before the God of this universe. It leads to a second approach. If we're going to apply God's truth, approach number two. If we're going to be changed, we must approach God's word in rece- uh, repentance. Repentance. Pick it up in verse twenty-one. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, receive the word implanted. If you are harboring sin within your life, the scriptures will not change you. That's the axiom. Harbored, unconfessed, unrepentant sin reduces the sanctifying effect of the scriptures. Before the seed of the word can burrow down in its sanctifying roots into the soil of your heart, your heart must first be tilled. Tilled through confession and prayer, tilled through an act of turning away of all evil, known evil, There's a word picture here. It's in that phrase, putting aside. It says a commanding force to it, it's not optional, but it's the word picture of getting undressed, taking clothes off, clothes stained with sin, clothes covered with the soot of unrighteousness. And notice we must take off not just some of those filthy garments As we approach God's word, but all, all filthiness, it's another word picture, all dirt, all grime. This word filthiness is also used to describe the foulness of ulcers. Have that in your mind when you're thinking of sin, it's putrid. This is what repulses and disgusts God. Think of Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. He's repulsed by. Yes, seven which are an abomination, a horror, a disgust to him. What are they? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. You can't be trusted. And hands that shed innocent blood. That's a heart of anger a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. You plan sin, you go to sin. A false witness who utters lies, one who spreads strife, disunity that devastates God's people, strife among brothers. Put those aside. Those are disgusting, putrid in God's eyes. We could add more, but just notice even in that list there, These are sins both on the inside and on the outside. It's in the heart and the actions. Which James then adds, look at verse 21 again, and put aside all, all that remains of wickedness. All that remains, he's bringing us back to our pre-conversion days. That sin residue that's left over after the Lord saved us. And you know, these are the sins that you are engaged in, again, pre-salvation, and so they can easily entangle you now. You've committed them before. You've tasted that short-lived gratification. James says, actively lay aside all those pre-salvation memories of sin, turn from any emotional attachment you might have to those. Why? Here's the key. Here's the promise. Because it is only after, verse 21, you put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness that you will be able to what? Receive the word implanted. So there's the connection. There's repentance, then there's change. There's a turning, and then there's the Christ-likeness. You can put in the terms of a warning, if you conceal, conceal any known sin, you will not, in fact, you cannot, welcome the sanctifying word of God. We see that in David. For, for nine months, he conceals his sin. You do not have that sanctifying word penetrating that heart. And so before we come to God's word, whether it be a Sunday morning, whether it be during a discipleship, relationship, or even personal study, we must be sure to cultivate our own heart in prayer. How do we approach the scriptures? How do we ready ourselves? We need to dig out those weeds of sin through confession. Plow our heart with repentance. Repentance. we're going to be changed in the image of Christ, and if we are going to be used by God in his sanctifying work with others, we must approach God's word in repentance. Leads to number three. Approach number three. Again, if we're going to be changed by God's word, if our discipleship relationships are going to grow us and others into the image of Christ, then we must approach God's word with receptivity with receptivity. That's the word James uses, finishing verse 21, in humility, receive. In humility, receive the word implanted. Receptive hearts are humble hearts. Vice versa, humble hearts are receptive hearts. So again, here's the application. Never, never are we to think that we have moved beyond our need for God's truth can bring that to the discipleship relationship. As a discipler, never think that you have arrived because you haven't and everyone else knows it. Don't think you've arrived. Never think that God's word is inconsequential or unnecessary or an extra or secondary to your life. You need the word to shape you, to change you. And note here the receiving of the word implanted. This is not a passive reception. There's an engagement. There's an energy. We need to engage with the scriptures, not read them passively or hear it passively. Why? Again, finish the verse. Because... God's word is his primary means of sanctification. God's word is his primary means of sanctification. So often, so often we will offer the prayer, Lord, change me into the image of Christ, but we won't couple it with what? With reading and applying. So the question is, what do you expect God to do at that point? We don't want to be mystical, but that's mystical. Change me, Lord, and then we remove ourselves from the sphere of God's word. But notice verse 21, we receive the word implanted and notice that is able to save your souls. Uh, Look at verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth, that's regeneration, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Regeneration comes through the word. Now here in verse 21 James is referring to being saved, the salvation of your soul, sanctification. Sanctification comes through the word. Rescued from the power of sin comes through the truth. Being transformed in the image of Christ comes from the scriptures. And again it's not passive. It's not passive. There's an active engagement, there is a thinking, there's a conversing with not only what I'm preaching, what I'm saying, but then what, with what you're reading and hearing. That's the third approach. We must approach God's word with receptivity. But now as we transition, if we're honest, this is where many of us stop with the word. Like right? We revere the word. Breathed out by God, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient. We'll come to the Word, asking, praying for the Lord to change us. We'll confess any known sin. But do we move into approach number four? Do we approach God's Word with everyday relevance? everyday relevance, do we make it personal, personal? Notice now from the general to the specific, verse 22, but prove yourselves, very specific now, prove yourselves, doers of the word. So it's not enough to only welcome the word and hear the word, that's not enough now we must couple that reception, that reading, that hearing, that studying, couple that with committed intention to do what the word says, to prove, to put on display. Prove yourselves, put on display that you are a follower of the word, an obeyer of the word, live it out. Prove yourselves doers, again, present tense command. Translate it this way, continually strive to be a doer of the word. This is obedience that lasts, application that lasts. But here is where one of the greatest temptations for us as believers is found. It's the temptation to become self-satisfied and puffed up with knowledge, to know a lot about the scriptures, to know theology and doctrine, to be able to check off that daily reading your Bible box or the weekly attend church box to be satisfied with only the hearing, only the reading, and then postpone the doing to another day. I'll get there later. I'll get there later. Bring it to the discipleship relationship, to study God's word in a discipleship time and then apply the word to others. Or, this is a favorite, or to rail against the world because they're not obeying the word. But James' call here is that before we leave God's word, before we ever close the Bible's cover, we must write it on our heart. Prove yourselves, write it on our hearts and identify its relevance for us personally. Personalize it. Now how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, notice again, prove yourselves. So the onus now is on the one who's hearing, the one who's reading. So how do we do this? Well, if you open up your bulletin, at the bottom of we only have eight lines for study notes, sermon notes, come on. At the bottom of that, you're going to have a list of five questions, application questions. Right? Application questions, and you can see those. There's why questions and how questions and, and what questions. So we put those there so that you can take this home and personalize what you've heard and what you've read. But we can go beyond that. You can go beyond that. Let me give you some questions that you can ask the text. Again, before you end your study. First of all, you can ask, what have I learned about God? And again, these are all personal. I, what have I learned about God? And we might just overlook this question, but this is where application begins because when we think much about God, we think less about ourselves. And since the Bible is a God-centered book, this is the right question to begin with. There is a sanctifying power in recognizing the grandeur and majesty of our God. So what have I learned about God? It's the first question that you can ask of a text. Second question, what commands must I obey? What commands must I obey? And here in this text that we're reading, there are many commands to obey. But you identify, with whatever passage, you identify the clear commands that are stated, and then, and then you put those commands in your own words, and in your own context, and in your own life. Because it's not asking, make sure that they prove themselves doers of the word, it's prove yourself a doer. And then you ask the follow-up question. Maybe it's the harder question. Am I obeying those commands? So what are the commands to obey? But now am I obeying them? And then probe deeper. How am I obeying them? So don't just settle for am I obeying them? Absolutely, let's move on. Well, how are you obeying them? And then maybe it's the follow-up question of how can I obey them even better? Or why am I not obeying them? you also ask and i'll just run through these what examples in the text must i follow are there any errors i must avoid are there warnings i must heed are there convictions i must live by is there any praise i must render what sins in my life need to be forsaken what promises must i believe all of these personal application of the truth These are the questions that, takes God, that take God's word and now hides it within our heart, my heart. Again, this is the implanting of the word, verse 21. In the words of the psalmist, Psalm 119 Your word I have treasured. I have treasured in my heart. Treasuring requires more than just reading. Treasuring is intentional thought and personal application. And then notice the promise that I might not sin against you. There's the change. Psalm 40, your law is written on my heart. Can you say that? Can you say that God's word has been written on your, your heart? That it's captured your heart it's changed your longings. It's adjusted your ways. You can ask the question when was the last time God's word has ever changed anything in you? Again, this is the hard work of personalization. This takes the painful work of conviction, the intentional work of repentance, the submissive work of obedience. Now there's a warning and then there's a promise. Notice first the warning here, back to verse 22. Referring to the hearers only, referring to the ones who refuse to apply God's word to their life. Here's the warning. They delude themselves. They delude themselves. It's a strong word here. It means to cheat or deceive There's a serious miscalculation of reality in this person. What is the delusion that they're believing of the hearer only, non-doer, non-applier of the word? Well, in the best case scenario, the best case scenario possible, this hearer only Christian has deceived himself into thinking that a passive reception of the word is enough for him to be sanctified and blessed by God. That's the best case scenario. But James says that's a serious miscalculation. Why? Because the Lord's hand of blessing is only upon those who obey his word. Just mark it. The Lord's hand of blessing is only upon those who obey his word. Think of what Jesus said in Luke 11. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Observe it. They're blessed. John 13, you should know it well. If you know these things, if you've heard them, if you've read them, you are blessed only if you what? Do them, it's the doer of the word. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God. And then walks in its ways. So, the best possible scenario, best possible scenario for the hearing only, non applying Christian is that he has separated himself from the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And separated himself from future eternal reward. You saw that last week. And separated himself from God's hand of blessing. Best scenario. That's not good. But there's a worst scenario, the worst possible scenario for the hearing only person. It is that he has deceived himself when it comes to his saving relationship with God. That he thinks himself to be a Christian when in actuality he is not. Again quote Jesus, Luke six, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not what? Do what I say. How can you rightfully call me Lord if you're not obeying me? Or Matthew 7: everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, personalize them, apply them, he's a foolish man, builds the house, the house crumbles. That's eternal damnation, by the way. And quite frankly, that's James's main concern. Is that worst possible scenario? That's his main concern here. We know that because of chapter two. Look at verse seventeen. His fear, James's fear, is that the hearing only person is spiritually dead. Look at verse seventeen. If faith, if that profession of faith has no works, no obedience, no application, no righteousness. It is dead. Why? It's by itself. It's the worst case scenario. Look at verse 19. James's fear is that the hearing only person does not have saving faith, but has satanic faith. You believe, you confess with your mouth that God is one. You know the right doctrine and the right theology. You do well But that's sarcasm. Oh, you do well, you know how well you do? As well as the demons. Because the demons also believe that. Look at verse 20, James's fear is that the hearing only person has a useless faith. Faith without works is useless, useless to eternally save the soul. That's the worst case scenario or deluded into eternal separation from God. Listening, reading, studying, discipling that never leads to action is self deception. And it's hypocrisy. And it's no better than the demons. My sheep hear my voice and they what? They follow me. And so we must set aside that time to do that hard work of personalizing God's truth, which means we must then approach the scriptures with approach number five. Approach number five, we'll get to the promise in just a moment. Approach number five, if we're going to be changed by God's word, we must approach God's word with remembrance. Remembrance, For the scriptures to change us, God's word must be retained, it must be meditated upon. We must seek to, again, hide it in our hearts. And again, this is why we have these application questions. Always, always, when you find these application questions in the bulletin, you'll see number four, it's meditate and memorize. And then it's number five, pray the passage hide God's word in your heart by meditating on it and then praying it as well. But look at verse 23. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately, here's the key word now, immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Here's the promise this man will be blessed in what he does. You have the warning of being deluded, you have the promise of being blessed. There's only two ways you can leave the word, only two ways. Just like there's only two ways you can leave a physical mirror. James's illustration, the scripture is the mirror. It's God's way of showing us our true spiritual appearance. Shows us what we truly look like. Two ways to look at this mirror. Verse 23, you look at the mirror. Verse 25, you look intently, but both of those ways are an attentive look. So both... In this illustration, both have listened to the word attentively. They've both come to Sunday morning worship. They both regularly attend home discipleship groups and adult equipping hours. They listen to sermons on their way to work and then from work. They read their Bible daily. They're in a discipleship relationship, both of them. There's a looking at the word. But one of them, verse 24... One of them, once he has looked at himself and gone away, once the Bible's close, once the meeting is over, he immediately forgets. He's forgotten what kind of person he was. The problem here is there's no retention. There's no retention. There's no remembering. There's no meditation. There's no personal application. You just simply move on not affected by this. But contrary to the out-of-sight, out-of-mind scripture person, look at verse 25. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, key phrase, and abides by it, remains in it, lives it, applies it, is changed by it. Here's the promise, this man, and only this man, will be, future tense, will definitely be blessed from delusion of blessing. The one who reads and then hides and remembers and meditates and applies, he is a recipient of God's sanctifying grace. And he will be molded into the image of Christ. And if you want to connect this promise of blessing back to chapter 1, verse 12, the last time blessing is used or blessed is used, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. And what is that blessing? It's the crown of life. That's eternal reward. There's that eternal reward of greater joy and glory that comes through an obedient life. You will be blessed now, sanctified, and later in glory. That's the promise. And so I need to ask you this morning, are you putting yourself in the sphere of God's sanctifying work? Are you approaching his word rightly Yes, reading it, and yes, hearing it, but even more, are you personally and intentionally applying this to your own life, your context, where you live? And then take it one step further. Are you giving yourself to others to teach them how to observe and apply all that Christ commanded? As we wrap up the the series, what marks a true disciple? What marks a sanctifying discipleship relationship? What marks the culture of discipleship that we want to see grow here at EBC? It is the reverent, repentant, receptive, relevant, and remembering approach to God's word. Discipleship. Discipleship is the joy of approaching God's word with others in receiving God's blessing together. And when we commit ourselves to these kind of discipleship relationships, the Lord promises to not only bless you individually, but to bless this church corporately. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for the power of your word. And we are thankful that your spirit indwells us and seals us and illuminates our minds and our lives to your scriptures. May we not take sanctification for granted, but may we do that hard work of application, thinking through how does this word take root within me personally. May you bless us as we seek to live out your truth. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.